Lord together. So great to be together this Sunday. Um, we're carrying on our rooted series. We're picking back that up, actually. Um, and we're into uh, part four of that. Uh, so if you want to flick through your book, first of all, grab your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, that's where we're going to be uh, this morning. Wonder this, just as you're looking that up, and it's going to be up on the screen for you as well. If you uh, are, don't want to look along or you don't have a Bible handy, although there are ones round about you in the backs of the seats in front of you, if you want to grab one of those, Second Timothy chapter one verse eight is where we're going to be looking at. But I wonder this morning, as you're, just as you're looking those things up, if, if you could detail, if you could detail the top three things that you hope will happen in your life in the week to come. I wonder what those three things would be. If you could think of three things um, that you could uh, detail, what would, what would those three, absolute ambition, we'd love it if th- those things would happen. They are the main thing we want to happen. Or, or maybe, maybe to make it more specific, if there is one thing that could happen this week coming that you are absolutely guaranteed favor in regards to, it was guaranteed that it would happen, it would, guaranteed that it would be guaranteed it would work out, what would be the one thing you would choose? What would be the one thing you would choose? And even now, hopefully your, your mind is thinking, I wonder what that would be. I wonder what that would be. And you're starting to think, and you're starting to think all of your dreams and hopes and ambitions and all of the things that are on your uh, wish list of life, your bucket list, whatever it would be. You've got all of those things. You've got your, your mind, or tr- mind is hopefully being transported to all of the possibilities that are involved in that idea. I wonder what would it be? What would be, there's so many things to choose from, so many desires in our hearts, so many things we would like to see or do or achieve. I wonder what it is you would choose. Well, this morning, this morning's message is our fourth uh, prior, foundational. It's a fourth foundational priority of the church. Ask one simple question of us: Where does the eternity of people God is, the people God has placed around us fit into our ambitions? Where does the eternity of the people God has placed around us fit into our ambitions? So if you think about all of the possibilities, all of the things, all of the hopes and the dreams and the ambitions that you have for your life and in your life and for this week to come. Does it occur to you that actually somebody's eternity being changed because of something you shared with them might be part of that? So our fourth foundational priority we're working our way through, so preaching that takes God at his word, worship that turns our hearts towards Jesus, prayer that trusts in God's promises and provision, it even lets me do a little dance as we're working through it, evangelism that talks clearly and courageously about Jesus, that's what we're thinking about this morning. Evangelism that speaks clearly and courageously about Jesus and, and, and maybe to start, like, as we start, ask that initial question, where does the eternity of people, the people God has placed around us fit into our ambitions? I wonder this morning, could it be that the reason we're not sharing Jesus with people is because it's not even close to being in the radar of things we long to see achieved in any given week or the actual purpose we are seeking to give our lives to? And so this morning, we're going to address some of those things. I'm going to address some of those things in my life, okay? So this isn't me just ranting at you about personal evangelism, okay? This is how we reason together about these things, and we work towards a good conclusion and a godly conclusion around about those things. So all of that said, hopefully you found your way to 2 Timothy 1, verse 8, which is the verse we've attached to this foundational priority. And this is what God's Word has to say to us this morning. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel, by the power of God. Let me pray, and then we're going to think about those things together. Let's bow our heads and our hearts before the Lord. Father, we're so thankful to you for what we've been able to sing. Thank you that we've been able to sing some of the things that describe our story, that we've been able to, uh, the story of your transforming power in our lives. Thank you that we've been able to sing stories which have allowed us to express something and to tell the story of that, that we've been able to take the bread and the wine, which further paint a picture for us of the transformation that you've brought about in our lives and the way that you've done that. 
and this great message that we have to share of, a, of, of God the Son coming to die for us. Father, we pray that as we remember these things and as we've sung those things, Father, that that would stir, and as we now turn to your word and consider what it means to share those things with the people around about us. Father, we pray you would help us, that you would soften us, you would draw our hearts to increase worship, which would spill over into a clear witness uh, to your transforming power. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so evangelism that speaks clearly and courageously about Jesus. Um, our verses, if you, if you have, keep your Bibles open there, our verses, the verse we're looking at this morning starts with the word therefore, okay, therefore, which immediately throws us back to what comes before, immediately before, and a, and a truth that's so helpful when it comes to sharing our faith and some of the challenges we find in sharing our faith in Jesus with others. Look what it says just at the end of, of verse 7, for God, or in verse 7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. So helpful, right? Those three things that we struggle with, three things that we really need when it comes to sharing Jesus with the people around about us. He's given us not fear. Hands up if you feel fear when it comes to, when the opportunity comes to talk about Jesus with people, okay? Well done for being honest, some of you. I think all of us probably do if we're really honest. Some people are absolutely bold and brave. We're going to come to them in a little while. But God has given us not a spirit of power, not a spirit of fear, but of power. So strength that exists apart from ourselves, a strength and a power to actually do something which doesn't feel natural or doesn't sit comfortably with us, and which we feel timid and concerned about, and of love, a love that overflows to the people around about us, because we know that they've got to hear this amazing message in self-control, which does two things, one of which is self-control that that causes us to live a life that is an example of Jesus' transforming power and also self-control that stops us going, ah, and running away and actually staying in the conversation. Power and love and self-control. We don't, what this is, what, 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 Second Timothy, what Paul is writing to Timothy and what God's Word is saying to us already right from the beginning is this, we don't need to be afraid because God has, God himself has given us the power, love, and self-control to share and live out the gospel with those around us. Power to not panic, love to liberally tell, self-control to set an example of Jesus' transforming grace at work in our lives. And those characteristics of gospel transformation are designed by God to be the catalyst of, or the catalyst for gospel telling. Gospel transformation is the catalyst for gospel telling. And, and so we want to be about both of those things. We want to be transformed by the gospel, believing that Jesus is constantly and ch- changing us in an ongoing way, having eternally tr- transformed us and changed us in God's eyes. And that then to flow into gospel telling because we want everybody to get in on that. So, so, what, so what does it mean to evangelize clearly and courageously? Well, I evangelize, I evangelize clearly and courageously because in Jesus Christ, first of all, I have no shame. I have no shame. Do not be ashamed. So we're going to go just a little bit of time through this verse, okay? Do not be ashamed. The word for ashamed comes from the same root as a word that describes a sense of ugliness or being marred. So I, in my notes, I've got two potential illustration stories, and we're going to take a vote on which one you want to hear. Okay, when I was a young kid in the school playground, I went down an ice slide and managed to smack my face and smash some teeth. Okay, and so basically part of that involves some future dental work. Okay, and there's a variety of different remedies which were tried to, sought to be found round about that. So um, the stories featured two of those attempts uh, to repair the damage that was done by the ice side. Okay, so the first story is basically the toothless wedding 
Or the second story is preaching that sounded like a gazoo. Okay, where's, hands up for the, the toothless wedding. Put your hand up. Okay, preaching that sounds like a kazoo. Okay, more people for that one, right? Okay, okay, so that's the one. Okay, I'm not going to answer. So that's it. The other one is never going to be told. Okay, um, I should probably told you that beforehand. Okay, so um, one of the so I, one of the way there was two different ways that the, the 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 dentist tried to fix the damage that was done by that side. One of which was basically putting a, a bridge in, which was basically they would attach the tooth to either the the broken tooth to either side of the the teeth and either side of the where the gap was. The second was basically it was just a straight up one tooth denture, denture which basically it was like slot it in there, okay, and um, just just like you see on the kind of dent, dent, was it Dentifix adverts that kind of thing, okay. Over, can you change your vote? <laughs> what, do, what do you want to vote for? The toothless wedding, or the, the gazoo one? Okay, so okay, no, that's the one I'm going to tell. So that's okay. Um, so, the, so the, the, this is the story about the second one. Okay, so one of the things was the straight up danger which you put in. Problem was when something's in your mouth, like you just kind of play with it. And one Sunday morning, when I was preparing to preach as a student pastor, basically I managed. I I, I played around with it a little bit too much, and it broke just before I was due to go to preach. No replacement. No replacement. So what do you do? What do you do? So I, I, I thought I, know, I, I did what everything did. I looked for some tape uh, to try and tape it back together again. <laughs> Listen, at half past nine on a Sunday morning, you should not mock my adversity. So I decided to put some tape on about this. And it wasn't just I was preaching. I was leading the whole service. <laughs> so excuse me, your wife is on the floor uh, laughing at the front. Okay? And so I put some tape on, and what happened was, inevitably, you're laughing because you know that that was a singularly stupid idea. Okay? And so what happened was that the tape started to get a little bit loose, and so the, the, the tape started to vibrate. <laughs> so whenever I, whenever I spoke too fast or too excitedly, it came out as like a... <laughs> A little bit like, so it was basically the same dynamics as a gazoo. Okay, so preaching like, seemed like a gazoo. And that all because I didn't look, want to be embarrassed in front of people. And I didn't want to, in some ways, feel ugly or marred by that. Okay, and say, so, well, that's a great story, Scott. So what's the point? Well, simply this. If we understand that the word for unashamed or being ashamed describes being uh, ugly or marred in some fashion. If we understand that, the question around this idea of being unashamed is simply this. Do you and I think when we're in that situation and we refuse to share the gospel because we're in some way ashamed, do you or I think that the gospel makes us ugly? That's the question. Do you, do you or I think that the gospel makes you ugly? Or, maybe more, and I've got to tell you this, has been, this, this question has been bouncing around in my heart all week. Even more, when I'm ashamed of the gospel, what I'm saying, and, and if I'm ashamed of the gospel, and if, if that, if as a part of that, what I'm saying is I'm ashamed of Jesus, the question inevitably then becomes do I think that Jesus makes me ugly? Do I, th- do I think that Jesus make, makes me ugly? Is Jesus Christ a matter or a consideration in my life that he disfigures my life or is a disgrace to my reputation? That's really what the word, do not, when it says do not be ashamed, that is what it's asking us. Do I think Jesus makes me ugly? Do I think the gospel disfigures, my, disfigures me in some way? Is Jesus a disgrace to my reputation? One of the most, let me say this, one of the most horrific deceits of the enemy is that he, is that he would be able to tempt those who have had, eternity, have had eternal shame, the eternal shame of sin removed to discover fresh shame over the one who died to remove it. 
One of the most horrific deceits of the enemy is that he, is that he would tempt those who have had the eternal, eternal shame of sin removed to discover fresh shame <clears throat> over Jesus who died to remove it. That he would cause us, <clears throat> or that we would willingly disown the one who died for us, we, or we would try to hide in some ways, try to mask the one who holds out heaven for, to us. Do you think Jesus makes you ugly? Do you think the gospel disfigures your, 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 your reputation? Oh, did you, have you ever met someone with no shame? Have you ever met someone with no shame? Okay, some of you already, already somebody's looking at somebody else. That was, that was way too fast. Do you know someone, I mean, if you know someone with no shame, you know, they're basically, they're just, you know, they, 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 they would say anything to anyone. They, would, they, they just, they have a, <laughs> frankly, remarkable freedom to say whatever's on their mind. Okay, sometimes helpfully, sometimes not, okay? There's no filter, you know, this is literally hashtag no filter, okay, on them. They have this, seem to have this freedom from worrying about what anyone thinks of them. It's like they can talk to anyone, or, or, and in the good side of that, it's like they can talk to anyone about anything, don't you? In some ways, if you're slightly introverted, maybe you slightly admire that in some ways. But that's what it's meant to look like. It's meant to look like that. I'm so captivated by Jesus Christ that I don't care what people think about me. I don't care what people think about me. The idea of being unashamed appears a few times in connection with the gospel and the New Testament. I'm going to put them up on the screen for you to track with. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So I'm not ashamed because I'm thankful for how, I, how that eternal transformation how, how that eternal transformation has worked in my life, how it's moved in my life, and also how I see that it could change, move in somebody else's life. That it moves powerfully to transform me from where I was to where I now am in my standing with Jesus. Or how about that Second Timothy 1.12? So just a little bit longer, a little bit further on in, in the, the chapter we're looking at this morning, it says, I, for, I am not ashamed. This is Paul saying, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So Paul said, I'm not ashamed because I see how much I have been given. And, and, and how I've been, I see how much I've been given so much reason to trust him. I'm not ashamed because I see how much I've been given so much reason to trust him. Or 1 Peter 4, 16, which we're not long finished with as a series in the church which says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And as we thought, as we're working through the First Peter series, I'm not ashamed because even in the midst of hard things, I've learned what it is to treasure him above all things. So I have my eyes on a different prize than the, the immediate processes and places that I find myself in the midst of. Yet we come with so many reasons and excuses for not talking about Jesus. That's the reality. We, we, we find so many reasons and excuses for being ashamed or hiding, that, hiding him in some way. We hide from holding out the hope that God has given us to herald to a lost humanity. That's the reality of it. When we, when we refuse and we hide from those gospel-sharing opportunities, we hide from holding out the hope that God has entrusted to us to herald to a lost humanity, and we come up with a whole bunch of different reasons. I noted down some of them just to, just to, 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 help, to hopefully be helpful, just to highlight some things. 
First one is social awkwardness. We, we fail to share the gospel through social awkwardness. We, well, you know, something, you know, we start talking about Jesus, the conversation starts to get a bit awkward. Try being a pastor. What do you do? I'm a pastor. It's like tumbleweed tumbles across the floor. It's like all of a sudden it's like that. But we, 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 we fear social awkwardness. We feel that in some ways talking about Jesus will, will make, make things awkward between us and the person that we're talking to Jesus about. We need to be careful that we don't become so concerned about awkward that we forget about their eternity. Or we have a sense of inadequacy. Well, we don't know what to share. We don't know what to say. We want to be super helpful to you in regards to that. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to, to get clarity about those things. We want, uh, so later on, we're in a little while, this morning, we're going to be thinking through that a little bit, but a sense of inadequacy. Who am I to share? Who am I to share? You're somebody who's been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been saved. You have a story, as we're going to see in a moment. You have something to share. You have been transformed by him. A sense of inadequacy. Well, Jesus died on a cross in your place for your sins and calls you to tell other people about it. It seems like a misplaced sense of inadequacy to me when God has called you to something. God, the creator of the universe, has called you to something. Well, super busy. Well, that's, you know, that's a compelling excuse. You're too busy to tell somebody about how they're going to spend eternity. It's something that could change how they spend eternity. We are busy. But in the midst of that busyness, find ways to talk about Jesus that you're busy with the people you're busy with. The reality is this, part of God's plan is to save sinners like us and to spread the good news of salvation through sinners like us that he has saved. That's what we're called to do. So, well, I don't know where to start. You know, we're back to the sense of inadequacy. I don't know where to start. This tells us, don't be ashamed of the next thing is, don't be ashamed, what's the next word of it, of the testimony about our Lord. So here's your starting point. So I have no shame. And your starting point is in in sharing is I have this story. I have this story. And here's that you are a better storyteller than you think you are. Think about the funniest or most exciting or most dramatic or most disappointing or thing that made you, thing that made you angriest over the course of the past week. Think about how you, 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 you reported that to the people around about you. Think about how you, how you talked about that around about the dinner table or as you shared that with a friend over coffee. You're a better, you are a better storyteller than you think. And evangelism is in the first place talking about telling the story about how Jesus has changed your life. It's your testimony, it's your story, it's you giving evidence of how Jesus has changed your life and has altered your eternity. That's what you get to do. That's what evangelism basically is. It is telling a story and as we as you hopefully are encouraged by, you are a better storyteller. Let me tell you about how Jesus, let me tell you the story of what Jesus has done for me. I have this story. That is the ideal starting point. Tell them about who Jesus is to you. It doesn't need to start with a three-point gospel presentation using fuzzy felt or some PowerPoint presentation. There's a whole bunch of different ways you can share it later on. But right now, the opportunity is for you to tell the story about how Jesus has changed your life. Why Jesus is real to you. 
We talk about it in terms of when we are encouraging people and how to share their testimony. We talk, encourage people to think about I was, but God, and now. That transition, that transformation story in those three stages. This is who I was without Jesus. And, and the encouragement in telling that story would, would be to be honest and real about where you were, to take time to consider really as we are encouraged at the communion table, as we think about in some of the songs we're singing about how far we are from God and, and not to belittle that sense of transformation that has happened in our lives, honest and real. I was, but God but God, so the central picture in your story should not be, should, should not be someone else, it should, and it should not be you. It should be Jesus. It should be how God has used Jesus to transform and to change your life. This is how he worked. This is what he did. This is what I heard. This is where I was when I first heard about how Jesus can change my life. Let me tell you about that. I was, but God, and now. How is your life different because of Jesus? How is your life different because of Jesus? How has he changed that? So the things, the, the things that you filled under the I was category, I was proud and self-righteous and a liar and a thief or angry or bitter or however, broken, however brokenness express, expressed itself in your life, that's what I was. And, and now I see how Jesus is extending grace to me in all of those things. And now this is what, I, what my life looks like. Still working on these things, okay? It's not, we're not saying, hey, I'm perfect in these things. It's, I'm still working on these things. I mean, still a work in progress in these things. But Jesus is helping me with those things. I was but God, and now. The story of how Jesus changed your life is the best channel for your evangelism to flow through. <clears throat> You've received good news, and you get to pass it on. That's an amazing thing. Because Jesus is an awesome Savior. Realistically, what we're talking about here is as what one person described evangelism as one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's what we are. So we're not going with any kind of high and mighty, I'm, I'm so awesome. No, we're not so awesome. Jesus is awesome. And in the same way as with our most pressing stories, so too is God designed that the story of his goodness to you would trip off of your tongue. I've just got to tell you this. I've just got to tell you. So you're in the middle of a conversation. I've just got to tell you about how Jesus has helped me with that very thing. Because the people you're rubbing shoulders with, your story will rub up with, rub, rub, rubbing, be in contact with them as well. And there will be commonalities there that you can build the story of Jesus transforming power into your life. If somebody's struggling with, uh, and, 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 and help them to see how Jesus is helping you with the things that they are struggling with. If they're struggling with peace, let me tell you about how Jesus has brought me peace. If they're struggling with hope, let me tell you about how Jesus is bringing me hope. If they're struggling with security, let me tell you about how Jesus has given me eternal assurance. I've just got to tell you. Could it be that one of the big obstacles in our mind to evangelism is that we think we need a sermon when what we need is our story? Not to say that it wouldn't be a test to share your testimony or that you won't find a struggle to tell your story. It tells us right here. It tells us right here. The word for, the word for, for testimony is marturion, which, from which we get the word martyr. We're going to come back more significantly to that. But the word martyr means witness. And really what we're saying when we're talking about sharing our story 
It's how we have witnessed Jesus restoring those things, peace, hope, joy, security, whatever it would be, by, by reconciling us to relationship with God. That's, what, that's the target. So being, that testimony is a witness to Jesus' changing power. It's also a proof, proof that God can provide sufficient grace to save even as poor a sinner as I am. I was. This is who I was. And even then, Jesus was able to change me. We should note too, though, that the story we have to tell is of relinquishing control of our life, repenting of doing our own thing, returning to the one who made us. Because the testimony is about our Lord. The way it says, it's not a testimony about, it's not our life story, it's not some kind of biography thing. The testimony is very specifically here, Luke, about our Lord. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. So it's not just about saying, hey, here's a, sol- here's a solution to all of your problems. It's here's something different and greater to live for than yourself. We get to pe- tell people about living for someone greater than ourselves and being loved by a kinder master than the worldly things that dominate our lives are. It's recognizing that we have this story of a Savior who came into the world because he loved someone like me, who died on a cross to serve as a sacrifice for the sin of someone like me and rose from the dead, he's alive to secure eternal life for someone like me. That's what we get to tell people about. That's an amazing message we've been given. What part of that story don't you long to share? What area of that story fills you with shame? The sin that required it, maybe, but even then, Romans 8 tells us there's no condemnation. The shame has been removed for those who are in Christ Jesus. So not even that, that's part of our story. Surely not, though. Surely no shame, though, over the one who saved us. How can we not long to tell that story? The challenge is that we have allowed our awareness of other people's opinions of us to cloud our awe, our awe of who Jesus is. Worship is designed to free us from worrying about things that would water down our witness or, or to cause us to walk away from opportunities. We stay in the conversation because Jesus is worthy and worth it and awesome. Ultimately, evangelism is worship. It's you telling the story, it's you singing the song in conversation with your, your friend who doesn't know Jesus of the very things we sing about every Sunday, the cross and a Savior who died in your, on a cross in your place for your sins. When I talk about Jesus, it becomes a song about his salvation, his sufficiency, and the satisfaction I find in him. He is worthy and he's worth it. So tell people about it. Evangelism stirs when we see we have a better story of a greater Savior than anything the world tries to satisfy us with. So I, I have no shame. I have this story. The third thing the courageous and clear evangelism involves is understanding that I've been, given, I've been given something to share in. It says, so don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. I've been given something to share in. 
So, so we share our story, but we're also called to share something else as well. And, and, and it really is in keeping with the verse we looked at from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16 earlier on. It's the idea of, of, of telling the story even in harder places where we might suffer for that. We are to share in suffering. That's what the word is there. Share, that's, what that, that's what this tells us. We're to share in suffering. We're to, to, be well, to willingly embrace sharing for the gospel, uh, su- willingly embrace suffering for the gospel, suffering for being a Christian. And all of that is a further part of our story because it just points to the worth that we find in Jesus. So we're called to talk about Jesus, not just clearly, but also courageously. Calling in the life of, the calling in the life of the Christian is to communicate Christ even when it is costly. Remember the word martyr? For us today, that word has a picture of someone who is willing to witness even when it costs them everything. Are we willing to do that? Rather than, treating, treating, rather, rather than treating telling people about Jesus like something we die of embarrassment over, this is telling us, that, telling us that if we really get it, the gospel is something we would be willing to die for and not just in a social sense. So we have that picture of witnessing in painful places for the gospel written by Paul, who is what he describes himself as, me, his prisoner, so he's in prison. Written by Paul, who is in prison for preaching the gospel and the instruction to share in suffering for the gospel. That's what we're called to do. That's why the, that's why the word courageously is in our foundational priority. Because it won't always be easy and it will involve courage and it won't always come naturally and it will often put us in harm's way in some way. All of this calls us to more than a shyness with the gospel. came across this quote from Charles Spurgeon um, earlier this week that I thought was helpful. It's going to be up on the screen for you. Reckon then that to acquire soul winning power, if we're going to be effective as being people who are soul winners, people who are going to go and be effective at sharing the gospel and communicating our faith in Jesus Christ, reckon then that to acquire soul winning power, you will have to go through mental torment and soul distress. I'm selling it so far, right? You must go into the fire if you're going to pull others out of it, and you will have to dive into the floods if you're going to draw others out of the water. You cannot work a fire escape without feeling the scorch of the conflagration. I had to look it up, that means fire. Okay, not a man nor man a lifeboat without being covered with the waves. You cannot work a fire escape without feeling the scorch of the fire, nor man a lifeboat without being covered with the waves. Are we willing to feel the heat? Are we willing to brave the waves of people of the challenges of sharing Jesus in this world? So we willingly risk suffering by talking about Jesus courageously in a truth-averse world a sin-denying generation amongst a culture that increasingly can't stand God in his word. And we do that because Jesus is worthy and worth it and this world needs to hear about him. That's what we mean by courageously. The word share here describes staying with and being enduringly adherent. Not going anywhere. I'm going to stay on this and keep talking about this. We're going to invest ourselves in the gospel and be about the things of the gospel and be about the things of the gospel with one another. So, 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 so everyone, this is a live drill of the do not be ashamed principle. We are in the midst of the live drill. This is, this is, this is not a test. 
of the Do Not Be Ashamed principle. It is God's calling on all who would call in His name, even if the world that would see, even in the midst, even in a world that would seek to pile on the shame on top of us. So why do we why do we do that? Because I have fourth thing, I fourth reason that we evangelize clearly and courageously is this: I have found something of eternal significance. I found something of eternal significance. And that's reality. Everybody in the world is scratching around for something that will bring fulfillment and satisfaction and meaning to their lives, and we have found it in Jesus. I found something of eternal significance. The gospel, that's the next word. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor uh, about the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the next word gospel. The gospel, we are willing to share in suffering for it because we see the eternal significance of it. We can't keep it to ourselves when we see that eternity is at stake, that hell is real. We stand with Spurgeon who says we need to get ourselves hot or wet in order to serve people and save people. So you start with your story, but at some point you need to set it out in front of whomever, whomever would listen to it. The gospel is the thing we carry. It's what we've been entrusted with. And we start with our story, but at some point we need to map out. We need to not need to preach a sermon to them, but we need to get to the detail of what is the gospel? What is the gospel? So what is the gospel? You're saying, well, what is the gospel? How do we... And then, and then this, there is some homework for you, I suppose, to try and find a way to explain it simply in a way that sounds like you and sticks to what the Bible says it is. What, is it, what, is it, what, what does the Bible say it is? Well, 1 Corinthians 15 gives us just a really, really neat, we're going to put it up on the screen for you. It's a really, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 5 gives a really neat summary of what, what the important things are for us to, content, con, to, to include in uh, our conversations about the gospel as we move beyond our story to actually setting it in front of people. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. First thing, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. We can find it in God's Word. So let's look at that together. We died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. God's Word directs us towards us that He was buried. So He did die. He died. But that He was raised in the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So again, the Scriptures, repetition equals importance. So Christ died for our sins. I started, I started too late. Christ, so it's about Jesus. Salvation comes through Jesus. We need to tell people about who Jesus is. He died for our sins. We can find all of that in God's Word. He was buried, so He did actually die on the cross for us, and He was raised again in the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He, was, he rose again in order to defeat, and con- defeat death and conquer sin and provide us with the promise of eternal, eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 5. You can figure a way to, hopefully figure a way to even just say, hey, hey, do you want to look at this with me? Again, we're going to come back to something around about that later on. So there's, there's a summary, or, or, or there's a whole bunch of different ways. I've just kind of tried to, you, tried to kind of play around with some things. I've put some, uh, maybe a rough summary up on the screen of some, some ways you might, some way, a way you might approach that. First of all, God, is it going to be up for you? Did I put it there? God made you. Yes, there we are. Okay, God made you. God made you. God loves you. You reject God. You offend God. God has a rescue plan. God offers you peace. Okay? Just, those are some rough headlines. 
God made you. God is creator. God is God being creator is a reference point of worship and lordship and as a reminder of our wandering and lostness. God is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our lordship because he made us. So we start with him as creator. God made you. Second, God loves you. Both creation and salvation provide expressions of this. And, and, and if you want another reason for including that in your sermon, just think about it. The most famous evangelistic verse in the whole of the Bible includes, starts off with this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John three sixteen, The most evan- common evangelistic verse uses it as its launch pad. Okay? Both creation, so God made you, God loves you. But in spite of that, you reject God. You reject God. So we take those two key truths about God's, inter- God's intersection with our lives and, and we take a look, look at how little our lives are lived towards Him. We reject God as Creator and Lord and we despise His love. And those things run at the root of what the Bible calls this word sin. By which fourth thing you offend God, your sin offends God. Your rejection of his lordship and love put you on a collision course with his holiness. The offense has eternal consequences called hell. Do we need to talk about hell? The Bible talks about hell. We need to talk about it. Okay, let's have a little conversation about this. Well, a big conversation about this. God made you. God loves you. You reject God. You offend God. Well, that sounds pretty hopeless. No, 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 no. We're not stopped yet. That's, that's, that's just the, that's the information part. Now, the transformation part. This is, here's the, here's the, de- here's the, here, here, here's the, here's the good news. That's what the Bible talks about to being right. Good news. God has a rescue plan. Well, God, who I, God who I've rejected and offended has a rescue plan. Yes, he does. That's amazing. Isn't it? It's called grace. Even though we rejected him and offended him, he still wants to rescue us. He sent Jesus, God the Son, present at creation as, and as an expression of his love to reconcile those who reject him through bearing the cost of sin's consequences by carrying all of your sin to death on the cross. That's what he did. That's the rescue plan. He, he brought us back to creation. He, 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 he who was present at creation, he made you. And his expression of his love for you, God loves you, died on a cross for you to pay the price for your rejection and offense of God. Carried all of your sin on the cross. And through that God final thing, God offers you peace. Peace with Him in life, with Him and in life through His love and His Lordship. So the encouragement is, the, 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 and the peace, the peace comes about when we trust Jesus, that's called faith, and when we turn from sin, that's called repentance. So it's and, and, and through that, we have eternal assurance of living with him and everyday assistance in living for him. Eternal assurance of living with him, everyday assistance in living for him. It's an amazing thing. Something like that. Stuff of soul, debt, sin, salvation, and the offer of eternal security. But ultimately, if you've trusted Jesus, if you haven't trusted Jesus this morning, all of those things were true and you desperately need Jesus and the encouragement would be for you to turn to him for the, because he, loves, he made you and he loves you and you've rejected and offended him but he wants to rescue you and give peace to you. That's what he wants to do. That's the good news if you haven't trusted Jesus this morning. If you have trusted Jesus, 
You can take something like that. Or ultimately, when you trusted Jesus, what did someone tell you? Use that and tell someone what they told you. Fill it in as part, fit it in as part of your story. Here's how, I, here's how Jesus changed my life. I had this conversation with this person. It doesn't need to be the three-point PowerPoint presentation approach. Wind, weave it into your story. Take that and tell someone else. You know, we, and, and preaching over the last ten and a half years at Harvest, I've tried to kind of weave some little things in which are kind of little memorable summaries of the gospel that I've come across. Jesus lived the life I could not live and died the death I deserved to die in order to buy for me the gift I could never afford. Jesus died on a cross in my place for my sin. There are just some really simple, straightforward ways to get to the heart of what 1 Corinthians 15 is talking about. Walter Chantry said this, though, and, we need to, and it's been realistic with these things. It's clearly and courageously, we, there are no easy steps to witnessing. It will involve us talking about, it's going to involve us talking about hard things. There are no easy steps to witnessing, no painless, unembarrassing methods. You must bring men to see that they are filthy sinners under the wrath of God who must flee to Christ for mercy. That's offensive, and there's no way to coat it with honey. At some point, we need to talk about some difficult things about our heart and about our lives and about sin. What's much easier to do is if you're willing to admit and can tell your story and talk about how you were like that and you need and, and in, in many ways you still experience challenges with your sin so to approach that with the humility to say you need to be more like me rather to say you really need Jesus because I, just like I do. So clarity and courage, even when it is costly and the culture seems lined up against us because it's calling on our, because we see that this, this is a calling in our lives and a means of us crowning Jesus in our times and it keeps people from hell. And I'm free, and I'm free to all, and, I, and, and if we're scared of this and if we're maybe scared is understating, if we're terrified of this, we are free to do all of that because God's word tells me, hear that, final thing, I will, receive, I will receive the strength that I need. God has gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. God gives us those things. We share in suffering. We, we, we are not ashamed of the testament about our Lord, nor me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the last three words, power of God. It's His power, not yours. So we need help to speak up. We need courage, our security, and what Jesus has done for us lays a platform for it. If we need clarity, God's word is there to give us it. And in this, implicit is this idea that God will give you what you need when you need it. Even in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, that great calling on all these people who would seek to be disciples of Jesus Christ to go, therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It finishes off by saying, Lord, I will be with you always even to the end of the age. You will receive the strength that you need. God will give you what you need when you need it. It is by the power of God we are saved and that same power is at work in us sharing. We cannot create faith, but God will use our faithfulness to draw people to himself. So when you tell your transformation story and when you share the gospel, God uses that to change people's eternities. That's an amazing thing to be involved with. 
So let me ask you the question I asked at the beginning. Where does the eternity of the people God has placed around you fit into your ambitions? Where does the eternity of the people God has placed around you fit into your ambitions? We want to be helpful to you in regards to that. We're going to, we're going to ask the band to come and lead us in worship. I'm going to pray and I'm going to come back up at the end and just talk to you a little bit about some things we have coming up which are going to be helpful to you. We hope in terms of putting some of these things into practice. Let me pray and then we'll sing and then we'll think about those things. Father, we are so thankful to you for what all we've been able to sing and share in this morning to remind us, help serve to remind us of the story that you're building into our lives, of your transforming power, how you saved us so amazingly and so undeservingly. And Father, we're challenged by the idea that we would now be called to take that very story, to, to, to share that story with the people around about us. But Father, we see the need because we are so aware of what our need was, that Jesus has met and Jesus has changed. Father, we, we, above everything else, Father, we long that as an expression of our worship, evangelism would, would be something we would consider, that we would see that uh, the, the, the chief motivation for us telling people about Jesus, yes, it's because we want them to come to salvation. Yes, it's because we want their eternities changed. But most of all, it's because you're worthy of being spoken about. You're glorified in that. Father, be glorified in our lives, we pray. Take away the sense of shame we have. Guard us against the enemy's attack in regards to that. Help us to live our lives for you in a way that boldly and clearly tells people about you. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.